0: I want to continue speaking about the kind of balance that Joseph was referring to this morning, the balance in attitudes and ways of working with the mind, which are the essence of what we're doing here. We say the word balance in the context of doing intensive practice. It's a very delicate balance. That we're referring to. It's not easy to understand. It's not an intellectual appreciation of it that makes it come alive. It's a very subtle, delicate, continually evolving sense of being balanced, being in balance or in harmony. One thing that makes One aspect that makes this kind of balance so delicate is the combination of energies with which we pursue the practice. In doing meditation practice, as you have all experienced, we work with engendering a gentleness and a sensitivity and an openness, a sense of being relaxed, being easy, not doing, not contriving or manipulating our experience. It's very gentle, very open. That's one emphasis that happens in the practice. The other emphasis is kind of the energetic side of that which is effort and energy and penetrating and investigating, being awake, being fully aware, having strength, having perseverance, having power of mind and concentration of mind. It's kind of the other side of the balance. It's something that we will work with continuously, certainly throughout the retreat, is finding that balance and that continually changing place where these two aspects meet and form a more perfect whole. To find the harmony in combining tremendous presence and awakeness and strength of mind with not doing and not striving, relaxation and openness, acceptance. For the most part, we have very dualistic training. Our minds are trained to feel comfortable in duality rather than in paradox. And so it seems to us that it has to be one or the other. How can we have strength and power with relaxation and acceptance and not doing. It's not easy to understand, and yet it's just in that place where the meditation practice evolves and flowers in finding that combination. There are different attitudes we can cultivate, different ways we can work to help each of these two aspects grow and develop. There are ways of being here in this community, ways of pursuing the practice, ways of working throughout the day, each of which gives rise to different states of being which can support and uphold the deepening intuitive understanding of the meditation. In that way, we can see our existence here as an entire unity. It's not a scramble to get through the activities of the day, to race into the hall, to just sit down and relax and go in. It's all connected. Every aspect of our lives here is in very intimate relationship to every other aspect of our life here. And so using everything we do as a way of reflecting our own understanding and as a way of cultivating these different attributes or qualities. I'd like to talk about a few of them today. It's said that when the Buddha himself was teaching, he taught in a standard progression of topics. And the first topic that the Buddha talked about in teaching people was that of generosity. We in the West tend to really like to go very quickly to what seems to be the heart of the matter, the essence of it. We want to understand the truth right now. We want to disentangle ourselves from difficulties or suffering in our lives. But said so that the Buddha Himself rarely taught, taught in that way. There was a definite progression in a gradual way of topics before concepts such as suffering or absolute truth were introduced. And the reason for this, it is said, is that the mind and the heart that are full of joy and light and ease and buoyancy are the best attributes to bring to meditation practice. To truly understand deeply the nature of things, to be able to penetrate and move through the pain and the pleasure and the joy and the sorrow of our existence, to understand how things change, what suffering means, and how to disentangle, to really do that, not just think about it, but to do that, to really touch that deeply and be touched by it deeply, the best thing to bring to that effort is a mind and a heart that is at ease, that is light and happy. The mind that is dark or rigid or burdened is very unwieldy. It's hard to work with, hard to form. It's hard to develop acceptance and openness with that kind of mind state. And because there were certain reflections and certain understandings that were the most likely things to bring about that openness and ease and happiness, the Buddha began with those topics. First of these is generosity. Because it is said that generosity as an activity is an activity of joy. It's surrounded by joy, to give or to open, to relinquish, to develop a state of mind that is not grasping and not clinging and not holding on, but is able to yield, to give up, to relax. That's the nature or the function of generosity. Can feel it in terms of our lives in the world when we contemplate giving an object. What it feels like inside when we clutch and hold on and cling and think, it's mine, you know, I need it, I must have it. And the difference in the feeling inside between that and just being able to let go, being able to offer it in joy and happiness for someone else's enjoyment of it. And the feeling of being able to relinquish, to offer, not to be self-centered, it's very great happiness. And so it's considered a foundation for doing intensive meditation practice. While we are here, of course, it's not that easy to practice generosity in the ordinary sense of the word. But there are many instances in which we can be conscious and aware of opportunities to give or to develop that sense of not clinging, not holding on. Even just in doing something simple like a yogi job, there is a way to do it feeling that it is, it is an offering, it is a kind of service. It's fulfilling one's role in the community. You can do it with a sense of dedication and happiness or there can be resentment and pulling back. We're going to establish a system uh, which we used last year of people being practice leaders sitting up front and timing the sittings and ringing the bell. And we'll go through just about everyone here in alphabetical order to be able to do something like that. There are many instances of being generous which are more invisible. To have so many people living together, sharing this space, demands a lot of tolerance, which is a kind of generosity of giving, making offerings not to invade other people's privacy and to respect the effort that everyone is making is also a kind of giving. There are many occasions which will become more and more obvious as the time goes on. One of the really fun things that happens in doing a long-term intensive retreat like this is that our universe here becomes like a microcosm of the real world. And even though it is protected and private and secluded, there's still a lot that happens. Even if you never look up past anybody's feet, you notice a lot. (laughs) And there are jealousies and rivalries and all kinds of things that go on. It's amazing how intricate this world can become, just as a reflection of all the different possible mind states. And there's a lot of opportunity in that to practice a sense of letting go, of not clinging, not demanding, being tolerant and being open to people around and with the situation. The second aspect that we can cultivate which will lend a power to the practice is that of morality. Tomorrow we'll go through the five precepts which you are already familiar with but we'll go through them one by one and explain them and talk about their application here. Morality in this sense is based on a feeling of being able to give up, being able to live very simply. It's based on the development of strength and power in the mind. When the mind is not driven by greed or desire or anger, our lives become very pure and simple even if it's only for a short period of time. Within that period of time, we are protected. There is strength and there is power and there is clarity enough to look within deeply. To really follow the five precepts very carefully and to follow all of the other guidelines for being here. They're not arbitrary. They're all designed to create simplicity in this environment. And if you do that ardently, really putting yourself wholeheartedly into the process of being here, being this simple, it will create all of the strength that is necessary to do the practice. If you do not do that, then it is virtually impossible to do the practice because of the chaos and the fear and the guilt and the remorse and the confusion that arise. So using that as a gift, Really establishing oneself in a very simple life. The corollary to that is the quality of mind of desirelessness. As much as possible to take what is given, to have an attitude of renunciation. There is fantastic power in being able to do with very little. Because one of the great teachings of living this simply is that there is really absolutely nothing that we need to be happy. And if our sense of personal happiness or fulfillment is based upon anything external at all, we are in trouble. Because whatever is out there that can bring us that sense of personal fulfillment, it must be subject to change. To feel dependent in any way on that which must inevitably change is a very precarious, fragile state of affairs. To learn a kind of independent happiness unconditioned or removed from dependency on certain things being certain ways is a much more lasting and fulfilling sense of well-being and happiness. And because that is the inner work that we do, the obvious reflection of that happens in how we relate to our environment externally. You can't be practicing desirelessness, sitting in a certain posture in the hall and be writing 15 notes a day on the bulletin board asking for things. It creates a fragmentation or a split in our lives which is not that helpful. To really hold that sense of being desireless or being simple, as much as possible, will provide great strength and power to every aspect of being here. As I'm speaking, I'm remembering sitting, and I'm wishing I could be sitting in this retreat, (laughs) because it's a wonderful way to live. Even though for almost everybody here, it will be just for a short period. Three months is short. It will not be for the rest of your lives. But it is so wonderful to be able to explore that way of living and to take full advantage of it by really committing to it in every way. The other aspect that we try to develop in all aspects of our being here, the other mind state that we try to develop, is a sense of respect and cherishing for the endeavor and for everybody who is involved in it. Joseph referred to this previously, to understand that we are doing, we are undergoing a process an opening to a process that people have been doing for more than 2,500 years. That it is what the Buddha surrendered to in his own awakening. It has been going on ever since. And so it is not a trivial matter. It is really a fantastic endeavor, and it is so rare and precious in this world so it's doing the practice with a sense of honoring how deep and how important it has been it's also having a sense of self-respect it is not by accident that anyone has arrived here And to do the practice honoring oneself and respecting oneself for being willing to be here and to pursue it. Everyone has made a lot of sacrifices to be here. We could all be much more comfortable right now with a lot more discretion and independence in our lives, eating what we want, doing what we want. Everyone has given up a lot just to be here. And it's it's quite wonderful to see that. And you should respect yourselves for that, and for the willingness to go within. There was a philosopher once. I don't know who it was, who said, self-knowledge is always bad news. And I think most people have a little inkling of that from having done meditation practice before. It tends to be a lot of bad news every now and then in looking inside. All of those dark little hidden corners we'd much rather not see. We've created a whole world of distraction so that we don't have to see it. To put oneself in a position where there is nothing else to do takes a lot of courage and a lot of commitment. And it's wonderful. So respecting oneself as well as the endeavor. And then respecting the other people who are involved. It is not an easy thing to do. And I certainly don't want to discourage you by saying that but since you've all already sat, you all know that. It is not an easy thing to do. It is very, very difficult. It's very rewarding and very profound, but it is not an easy thing to do. In some ways, I think that's more comforting than discouraging because if you face difficulties, you will know it is not just you. It is not simply because you're finding it Difficult or seemingly impossible even. It is because it is inherently a difficult thing to do. It is not impossible. But there are many ups and downs and changes to be gotten through. And to respect one another for the efforts of one person really can inspire and lend strength to the efforts of everybody. At different times, different people will be going through difficulty. And to respect that, to understand that it is just in the nature of the process. And the last thing I wanted to speak about which can provide the foundation and the basis for feeling protected and feeling both a sense of gracefulness and a sense of power in doing the practice is the factor or attribute of loving kindness, of metta. You've all seen, and those of you who've sat here before, know the word metta that's sitting over the doorway, announcing our presence to the world of Worcester County. That word metta means loving kindness, which is a feeling of warmth and caring and ease, not judging, not condemning. There are really two aspects to the sense of love that we use in talking about a foundation for doing the practice. One is love in the sense of being ardent, to love the truth, and to be willing to pursue it relentlessly, to be willing to surrender, to be willing to let go of anything in one's effort, it's a great love for the truth that can just burn up any obstacle that stands in your way. And it is a love. It's not a willpower or a control or a rigid determination. But it's a great love and affinity for understanding and for freedom. The second way in which we use that word love is in the sense of loving kindness or metta. Which provides the ability to see anything at all internally or externally, without being disturbed. Because when the mind is filled with loving kindness, it's open and accepting and allowing. And there is an ability to look at anything at all and not be afraid. Metta meditation is actually taught classically as the antidote for fear. It is loving-kindness that allows us to experience everything without needing to withdraw or pull away or push away or hide or make-believe, disguise things. If we cultivate the power of loving-kindness, we will be able to approach the practice fearlessly, to encounter anything within, and to be more desireless without, so that other people's actions will not disturb us. We don't feel necessarily so judgmental or condemning, but are more able to be tolerant and easy. If we practice loving-kindness even just once a day, if you take maybe the first sitting of the morning and spend 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes, and just do the loving-kindness meditation, it can be the foundation for establishing the feeling of ease and openness that you can carry throughout every other experience throughout the day. So trying to do the practice with that aura of joy, of openness, of happiness, and also of strength, of power, reflect throughout the day as different situations arise. You'll be, amazing what, you'll be amazed at just what a profound world it is to stand on the lunch line. A lot happens on the lunch line. Everything is so intricate. And there's every opportunity for using the practice in each situation. Try to remember generosity, and the strength of renunciation and simplicity in morality, in trying to be not governed by desires or whims. Remember a sense of respect for the process, for oneself, for the other people involved. and metta or loving-kindness as the foundation for the flavor or the texture of how we approach all of our experience. What I'd like to do now is have you stretch just for a moment if you'd like to and then do the (laughs) loving-kindness meditation together.